Let's try that again. Hello, Overlake. Oh, yes. Beautiful, beautiful. I love getting the family all together. This is so fun. Uh, so I thought I would just take a, a quick selfie, if you don't mind. Um, all right. You know what I need? I need everyone's hands in the air. Can we do that? All right, everyone, like you're on a huge roller coaster. Oh, look how beautiful. Wait, one more. One more. Sorry, you were not smiling. I, I'm, I'm so sorry. Let's try that one more time. Hands up. Let's go. Excellent, all right, no more selfies. Um, but you will see that later on Facebook, so you can tag yourself, that's great. Hey, uh, I, um, uh, my name's Mike, I'm one of the pastors on the team, and I want you to know that it is, it's just so fun to be together. Summertime is a crazy time in the Pacific Northwest. It's just crazy because this warm, beautiful, glowing, tan-inducing orb comes out in the summertime. And uh, when that happens, it's just a challenge for folks to come inside for church service. And uh, some of you battle with that. I know I kind of battle with that sometimes. And so here's the deal. If you have come to church over the summer at Overlake, you know that we have tried to go deeper in our faith. It's called Summer Growth Spur. We wanted to provide spiritual disciplines, habits for, for those interested in growing deeper in their faith. For those of you who haven't been at Overlake over the course of summer, I got two things to say to you. Number one, welcome back. We are so glad that you're here. We're going to have an incredible fall season. I just can't wait to see what God is up to. Uh, number two, how come you didn't invite me boating? Uh, let's work on that one, okay? Um, and, and honestly, it is true that the weather has been so nice and so warm. It's just been so golden uh, and just hot. And the reason why I know that is because so many of you have been dumping buckets of ice water on your head all summer long. Uh, so uh, no, not, not, not even funny. That wasn't even like two. Uh, my mom and someone else laughed. So I love you. Why don't we get into the scripture? Here's, here it is. Jesus is teaching us today. If you have your Bibles, you might want to open them to Matthew 13. If, uh, if you don't have your Bible with you, it'll be in the screen. It'll be in your notes. But we're kind of, the whole thing, it's going to be right out of Matthew 13. Jesus is teaching and this is what he says. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it while all the people stood on the shore. Then he told them many things in parables, saying, a farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell in rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow, but when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell amongst thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil, where it produced a crop 160 or 30 times what was sown. Whoever has ears, let them hear. Why don't we pray that right now? Lord Jesus, would you give us ears to hear what it is that your teaching says to us? Would you give us the understanding to truly receive your word and your heart and so be changed by it? We know that your word does not return void. It has the power to transform. And so we ask that you would make us receptive to that power, your power, your spirit today. In Jesus' holy name we pray, amen. Amen. So this parable 
Uh, by the way, what is a parable? The parable is a, it's a story, it's an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. It's a, it's a story that all the players and all of the uh, parts of the analogy would be known to the human listeners, and yet the importance of the story is not about sort of what is normally considered human, but it's spiritual. It's of spiritual import that Jesus is telling these stories, these parables. And this parable is about farming. Now, so many of us are removed from that reality. I just want you to understand that it wasn't too long ago in America, and in fact, over the entire world, that there was a connection, a closeness with the idea of agriculture, with where our food, our produce comes from. That this was just sort of common knowledge, like like for everyone, everywhere. And that's why Jesus sort of uses this analogy of farming. He often uses the analogy of fruit, harvest, that kind of a thing, because it would have been immediately accessible to everyone. So many subsistence farmers in the world, very agrarian society, has been all the way throughout history up until the industrial age. Um, but now we are removed from it. Right? We, we think that, that farming is you know, going to Safeway in the produce section. We don't, in, unless we intentionally enter into farming, right? Unless we, you know, now there's urban farming and you can be a part of farming co-ops and you can always live in Duval. So there's all kinds of things that, that you can you know, choose to do, but unless you choose, uh, farming and agriculture is just going to be removed. So we've got to kind of work to get our minds around this. By the way, my great-grandfather was a farmer, spent his whole life as a farmer. He was a part of the, um, the original land rush in Oklahoma. And he, uh, he built his first house on, on that farmland out of sod. It was one of those sod home, little house on the prairie kind of a thing. And, and so th that was his. And we used to, I grew up going to his farm. And in fact, I think it was my, my great-grandfather who told me this, this joke. He said an old farmer was walking down the road one day, and he saw a bullfrog sitting on the side of the road. And he looked at the bullfrog, and the bullfrog looked up and said, hey, fella, if you pick me up and kiss me on the lips, I will turn into a beautiful farmer's wife for you. And the farmer reached down, picked up the bullfrog, started to put it in his pocket. And the, the, the frog said, hey, oh, didn't you hear me? I said, you got to kiss me on the lips. I'll turn into a beautiful farmer's wife. And the farmer said, you know, at my age, I'd rather have a talking frog. <laughs> Boom. Okay. Here are we, guys. Now, <clears throat> when you read this parable, when I read this parable, there is a very real a jumping place we go to. It's just, just how we're wired as humans. You read this parable, Jesus talks about the parable, and we want to know what it means, but specifically, we want to know where we fit within the parable. And so the most natural question that we immediately ask after we hear Jesus teach these words is we ask the question, what sort of soil is my heart? What sort of soil is my heart? We want to know where we fit in the analogy or in the parable. And Jesus does a pretty good job. Well, pretty, that sounds horrible. Jesus, you always do an awesome job. He does an awesome job 
of describing what this parable means to us. If we're asking the question, where do we fit? Here he goes. He says, just a few verses later, he says, listen then to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. This is the seed along the path. So think for a second about a path, a footpath. It's going to be hard packed. It's going to be very hard soil because of so many feet and so many uh, you know, beasts of burden, wagons going across the path. It's going to be hard. It's going to be hard packed. And so the seed lands on the hard pack, the hard soil, and then the enemy comes and swoops it away. So maybe it's because of lack of understanding. Somebody just doesn't understand the seed of God's love. Uh, maybe it's because of hardness of heart. Pride creates a hardness of heart, uh, and, and so we're hard, and, and so the seed of God's grace lands, and it just doesn't go in because there's no receptivity. It's not a soft soil. It's hard pack, right? And so the question we come up with when we read this, Lord, is, is that my heart? Do, am I the one with the hard heart where, where, where the, the evidence of your goodness and the realities of your grace and the gifts of your blessing, they don't even penetrate because my heart is hard. I've allowed myself to grow cynical. I've seared my heart and it's, and it's just all scar tissue, right? And, and so we ask ourselves those questions. We know, by the way, there is an enemy, an adversary, it says in scripture, we, we know him as Satan, and he delights in our spiritual blindness and he delights in our hardness of heart. And so anytime the, the evidence of God's goodness and grace and mercy lands in our lives, he is quick to come and to swoop it away because he does not want us to understand how good, how rich, how loving our father really is. So, so, so that's a question we ask. Again, am I the hard path? Is the enemy preventing me from experiencing your love? Then Jesus goes on. He says, the seed falling on the rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. So the, the, the rocky soil, it is receptive. The seed goes down. They receive God's love quickly and with joy. They want to embrace his goodness, participate in his kingdom, but... Their root does not go down deep, and so trouble comes. Persecution comes. Even circumstances in a fallen world come. You know, a drought comes, right, and, and all this stuff. Th these are realities that happen in our world. We live in the meantime. It's often very, very mean. And when that happens, if there is no deep root, what happens? It says, well, then they fall away. They quickly fall away. And so I just want to reiterate over like... This is why we make a big deal about getting rooted in our faith. Why we have studies rooted 101, rooted 201. These are, these are group experiences that are designed for us to let the root of our faith go deep down into the soil of God's goodness. Why? So that no matter what happens, what circumstance, what persecution, what's coming against us, that the root of our faith goes down deep. Look what it says in Ephesians 3.17. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and what? Keep you strong. You might want to circle that. 
right? When our roots grow down deep into God's love, then we are kept strong no matter what's going on in the world, the culture around us. Next verse, Colossians 2, 7. Let your roots grow down into him and your lives be built on him. It's talking about Jesus. Let the root of our faith grow down into Jesus. Let our lives be built on Jesus. Then your faith will grow strong. There it is again, circle that. Will grow strong in the truth you were taught and you will overflow with thankfulness. So, so many of us at Overlake, we're already embracing this as a challenge. We're already walking this road. If you're not, just in a few weeks, we're starting the Rooted 101 201. Please jump in and walk that road because we want to make sure that what we're doing is allowing the root of our faith to grow down deep. We want it to grow down deep into God's love. We want our lives to be built on the person of Jesus Christ because we don't want, when the circumstances go haywire in the world, persecution does come, trials, tribulations, we don't want to fade away in our faith. We want to remain strong. So again, we ask the question self-reflectively, Lord, is that the soil that I am? Am I the rocky soil? Yeah, I'm good with you now, you know, happy clappy on Sunday morning, yay, Jesus. But when tough, when, when things are tough, do I fade away? Okay, is this me? All right. Next, Jesus says, the seed falling on, whoops, where am I? Uh, sorry. Then Jesus says, the seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. So, the seed among the thorns this is the person who receives the word, embraces it with joy. Maybe the roots are growing down deep. But Jesus says the worries of life and the deceitfulness of wealth. Isn't it interesting he talks about those two things? Because when we are worried in this life, we look at wealth as a type of savior. When, when times are hard, we think so often money is going to be the answer. And when we think that money is our answer, what are we doing? There's a subtle shift that happens in our hearts. The Bible calls this idolatry. That we end up thinking of money as our savior and not Jesus. And then look at the result of this. The last phrase says, making it unfruitful. Now, let's jump to the sort of the spiritual side again. We already started talking about what the adversary does with those who have hard hearts, right? It's a hard-packed soil. The seed of God's goodness comes. The birds come, swoop it away. So, so the enemy comes, just takes that seed. The evidence of God's goodness just takes it away. For those who um, are rocky soil, um, they are receiving the word, they're, they're loving God, and yet there are sort of persecution and trial. So the enemy will bring that against us because he knows our roots are not deep. The enemy now shifts his strategy and he begins to attack and assault. And this third type of soil is the thorns. And what's that? Maybe the roots are growing down deep. What, what the enemy will do is grow up thorns around us so that we have increased anxiety and worry and think that money or security is our answer instead of Christ, making us unfruitful. You see, if Satan can't just swoop the seed away, preventing us from ever embracing God, then he will seek to make us unfruitful so that we can't help anyone else embrace God. He shifts his strategies all the time. And so we have to be aware of those things. And 
And then Jesus concludes, but the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. And so he's speaking of the fertile soil, the person who hears, understands, soil that is receptive and soft and tilled, very open to receiving God's love, very excited about God's goodness, uh, very excited about the invitation to participate in God's kingdom. And so the seed is embraced humbly and it produces a yield. There's a huge return on investment here, abundance. Like I want you to picture an apple tree laden with fruit. I want you to picture a stalk of corn that just has ears all over it. Just this idea of there's so much fruit in this life. And that's the picture that Jesus wants us, right, to to embrace for ourselves. It says this in Proverbs 12, 12, but the godly are well-rooted, we talked about that a moment ago, well-rooted and bear their own fruit. And as we read this passage, we read the, the interpretation that Jesus walks his disciples through, there's an obvious moment for each one of us, what type of soil am I? How receptive is my heart? to God's goodness, to God's word, to God's love? How much am I embracing the Lord? Is my heart one of those fruitful, fertile types of soil that Jesus is describing? Because we have to tend the soil of our heart. Proverbs chapter four, verse 23 says, above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. So a question, how do we do that? How do we tend the soil of our heart? How do we guard our heart? And I would just say there are some general answers we talk about often at Overlake prayer and intimacy with Jesus and humility, walking our faith journey with with humility, quick to confess, quick to course correct, quick to come under the authority of scripture. Like these are just general kinds of pictures. But without sort of any introduction or anything, I just want to say what I'd really love, Overlake, is for you to commit to coming these next four weeks, uh, or five weeks, we're going into a series called Acts, and we're going to talk about how God is the one who started the church, and the Lord is the one who empowers the church, and it's as we cooperate with him, as he works within us, that all of the incredible things of God's kingdom come to bear in this lifetime. And so this really will tie up a bunch of loose ends about how, how outlandish love and worship first and blessing my city come together, and I really want to encourage you to join us for this next series, this series of Acts, okay? Okay. And then Jesus continues to teach. So if you read through that whole chapter, he goes through several parables, parables of the kingdom. And down in verse 44, we'll take a look at two more. Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy, went and sold all he had and bought that field. The treasure was his. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away, sold everything he had, and bought it. And we read through these parables, and we do a very similar thing to what we did when we read through uh, the last parable, is we evaluate the reality of God's kingdom. And we evaluate the reality of God's kingdom now and God's kingdom come, and then we ask ourselves... How important is God's kingdom to me? 
Right? How important is God's kingdom to me? Because we've just read through these passages of Jesus' teaching where Jesus is saying it's like a man who sells everything he has in order to acquire that treasure. Or a merchant who divests himself of every investment ever so that he can acquire that pearl. And the question is, is that how I view the kingdom? Is it that important to me? How important is the kingdom of God to you? Is it important enough for us to live obedient lives? Is it important enough for us to submit to God's word? Is it important for us to give generously to God's work? Is it important enough for us to serve, to offer our hands and our minds and our time to God's kingdom? Like, how important is God's kingdom to us? And the parables talk about a person who says, it's so important, I will sacrifice everything for it. A pastor friend of mine has challenged me, he said, so often in the American church, it's not the question, will you sacrifice everything for the kingdom of God? Unfortunately, it's, Will you sacrifice anything for the kingdom of God? Where is it on a priority list? How high up or how low down does God's kingdom fall? And again, we're convicted, right? Just like we were when we read through the description of the soils, we're convicted again. Oh, Lord. I confess that so often, it's not my highest priority. I I confess that sometimes there are moments maybe where I'm ready to sacrifice everything for your kingdom, but but Jesus, I also confess that there are many other times, moments that are hours and even days and weeks where I'm not ready to sacrifice anything for your kingdom, not ready to go drive out of my way, not ready to show up a half hour early, not ready to get out of bed so I can spend time with you. There's so many times I confess, Lord, I'm not ready to sacrifice anything. And in both contexts, we confess we need Jesus, that we need his grace. We need his help to get the soil of our hearts right. We need his help to get our identity in him right so that we can remember, oh yeah, your kingdom is most important to us. We don't wanna gain everything and just miss out on what is most important. And that's what Jesus says in Matthew 16, 26. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? And so we confess, Lord, we fall short. We fall short. We need your help. We need your grace. We need you to remind us of who we are in you, Jesus Christ. And friends, this this way of interpreting scripture, this is all well and good. It's appropriate for us to go these directions when we view the parables that Jesus is teaching. And it's, it's appropriate not only in these passages of Jesus' teaching, but as we read the scripture in general with a kind of self-centric lens that motivates me to awareness and to action, to repentance and response so that we would be humble enough to pray, Lord, would you work in my life to let me till the soil of my heart so that I am receptive to you? Would you let me declare once again that God, your will and your kingdom are my highest priority? Let me display by the way that I give and by the way that I serve and by the way that I love and by the way that I order my domain under your authority and your domain so that your kingdom can come more and more through my life. 
And we say this all the time over Lake, that no matter where you are in your faith journey, we still have great distance to go. No matter how mature we might be in our faith, there are still places for all of us to grow. 2 Peter 1, 5 through 9 says, in view of all this, make every effort to respond to God's promises, right? That's a hefty phrase, make every effort. Supplement your faith with a generous provision of moral excellence. Moral excellence with knowledge. Knowledge with self-control. Self-control with patient endurance. Patient endurance with godliness. Godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love for everyone. The more you grow like this, the more what? Productive and useful, right? You'll have a great harvest, a great bounty, fruitfulness from your life will be in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But those who fail to develop in this way are short-sighted or blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their old sins. And so I just want you to see this. The scripture says we are to make every effort. We are to develop. We are to cooperate with the Holy Spirit's work in our lives, sanctifying us. Understanding that this entire faith journey is designed that you and I might become more and more and more like our Savior, Jesus Christ. And so he is at work in us. We want to cooperate with his work. And and I hope this all makes sense. This is a good way for us to read the Bible. However, if this is the only lens that we read the scriptures from, we will think that the Bible is simply a book telling us to get in gear and to stop slacking off and to work harder and do more. And so I I just want to make sure that we don't go to that place because, friends, that is only half the story. See, there's something else going on as Jesus is giving us these parables. I want you to think about the primary purpose of Jesus Christ. He came in order to reveal the Father's heart. And so I want you to think about what's going on. You know, if you want a snapshot of what God looks like, you simply take a look at Jesus. The scripture says this, Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. When Jesus was active in his ministry, he he told people, you know, I only say what the Father tells me to say, and I only do what I see the Father doing. This is in John 5. Jesus explained, I tell you the truth, the Son can do nothing by himself. He does only what he sees the Father doing. Whatever the Father does, the Son also does. And I bring this up because I want you to see that even though it's okay for us to have a self-centric view as we read the parables to ask ourselves, where do we fit within it? I want to encourage you to understand we have to have a God-centric view so that we understand what is God up to within this? This is the question we have to answer. What does this tell me about God? If the first question and the most natural question is, what is the soil of my heart? Where do I fit in this parable? The second question might even be the more important question, what is Jesus revealing about the Father? And if you're filling in the blanks, the first thing that the parable reveals is that the Father sows. The Father sows. 
Matthew 13, 18, we kind of flew by it as we read right into the, the description of the different kinds of soils. Jesus says, now listen to the explanation of the parable about what? About the farmer planting seeds. The NIV says, let me tell you the interpretation of the parable of the sower. What we interpreted was the parable of the four soils. But there is something else going on. This is actually about a farmer planting seeds. And the father is the farmer. And what the father does is he sows and he sows and he keeps on sowing. And he'll sow on the hard soil and he'll sow on the rocky ground and he'll sow among the thorns and he'll sow where the ground is fertile. And he will sow and he will sow and he will not stop sowing until the final day of his harvest. That is the father's heart. We see a God who will not give up on you. And if you're here and you think, my heart is too hard, God's not giving up on you. He's going to sow his goodness. He's going to sow his grace. He's going to sow his blessing. He's going to sow his love. If you're here and you're like, I'm the rocky soil. I don't have roots. God's going to keep sowing his love. He's going to keep sowing his mercy. If you're here and you're like, I got all these worries around me. And I do think money is the answer. God will continue to sow his provision. He will continue to sow his guidance. The father sows and he sows lavishly and he does not stop sowing. Can I get an amen? It's just amazing to me. And I just want to say to you, the reason why it's important for us to get this is because we're so far removed from agriculture. I think Jesus' original hearers got it instantly. Because friends, no earthly farmer sows like this farmer. I have read commentary that suggests that back in the day, before we were so intelligent and sophisticated, before we dropped our seeds like smart bombs into holes, you know, back in the day, farmers were so stupid, they just threw seed everywhere, you know? And just, oh, I hope this all goes somewhere and I get fruit, you know? Friends, in the first century, most farmers were subsistence farmers, which means if they did not harvest, they did not eat. I would suggest the poverty level, they, they were right at it, which means that seeds were infinitely more precious then than they are now. No, no, no. Farmers knew, hey, you got to prepare the soil. And where you prepare the soil and you plow the soil and you make the soil fertile and, and you, you got some you know, fertilizer, you got some compost going, that where you prepare the soil, that's where you put all your seed because the return on investment is so precious. And we can't afford to waste even a single seed on the path. We can't waste a single seed in the rocks. We can't waste a single seed in the thorns. But what we see God doing, God is saying, there is no place that I'm not going to bet on. There is no heart that I am not interested in. 
There is no life that I am gonna reject, that I'm gonna sow the seeds of my blessing and the seeds of my love, the seeds of my grace, the seeds of my provision. It's gonna go here and here and here and it's gonna keep on going. And friends, this is good news. This is the grace of God and this is what we have to see. When we read the scripture, what are we seeing about God? What are we re- what's being revealed about God's heart? And so often it's better than we ever dared to hope. That's the first thing we see, that his love is not metered out in teaspoons like so many of us believe, but the Father's love is measured in oceans as it pours again and again and again out in our lives. See, uh, it says this in 1 Timothy 2, that we're to pray for everyone. We're to pray for everyone, no matter how far we might think they are from God. And the scripture says, this is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. Friends, if if we can see, if we can move into this God-centric perspective, it will revolutionize the way you read the Bible, it'll revolutionize the way you look at your own faith journey, and it will completely revolutionize the way you look at one another. Because you will see in the other person somebody that God loves and desires. And the second parable tells us something even more shocking. The second parable tells us that Jesus pursues his pearl. That Jesus pursues his pearl. That Jesus is the one who prizes the kingdom so much that he is willing to give everything to obtain it. When Jesus tells the parable, he doesn't say, You humans in relationship to the kingdom of God are like a man who finds a treasure. That's how we interpret it. But what Jesus actually says is the kingdom of God is like this. He doesn't say you humans in relationship to God's gifts are like a merchant searching for a pearl. Never. And yet that's immediately where we go like we are the hero of the story. I want you to see that Jesus says in both of those parables, the kingdom of heaven is like this. The kingdom of God is like this. You wanna know what God's heart is like? You wanna know what I came to do? I came to find my treasure. And nobody else saw it. Nobody else could see it. It looks like a junked up field. It's got a, a tire hanging out. You got like there's a circle K right across the street. It's like old glass, you know. I, nobody thinks this field is worth jack. And I think it's worth everything. He's like the merchant who looks past, you know, all these other people are looking past this pearl. And Jesus, I'm the merchant who sees this pearl is so valuable that I will give everything in order to purchase it. Can you imagine what would change about your faith if you could actually get your mind to the place where you realized you are the pearl that Jesus has purchased? That you are the treasure that Jesus has given everything for. Friend, I I want you to see that Jesus 
We know this from the gospel. Jesus stops at nothing in his wild pursuit of you and of me. He holds back nothing. He spares no expense. He sacrifices everything. Jesus goes through hell itself in order to secure our place in heaven, in his heaven, in his family, and in his presence forever and ever. And I get so emotional I, I, I get so, I, I just get choked up when I think about this perspective, even though it is the clear teaching of Scripture. How rare it is for us to dare to believe, even for moments, that it's true. That Jesus has left everything and sacrificed everything for me, and not just for me, but for we, and not just for we, but for all of our loved ones, and not just for our loved ones, but for our whole parish, and not just for our whole crazy parish, but for this whole screwed up region, and not just for this whole screwed up region, but for this whole really insane country we live in, and not, not just for this country, but for every country on every continent, every city, in every community, in every neighborhood, Jesus is pursuing in his love. That's the pearl. That's the treasure. He wants a relationship of love with us. And he looks fully at this fallen, broken, depraved, perverted, horrific world filled with man's inhumanity to man. Jesus looks at it all with no illusions whatsoever, and he says, I will redeem my treasure. He looks at every sin-stained soul. He looks at every time you have ever done something, wounding yourself or wounding someone else, every time you have soaked yourself in shame, every time you've done something you've been embarrassed by or felt guilty of, he takes all of that from you. And in its place, he gives you his righteousness and he says, I will purchase my pearl. That's what's going on behind these parables. In, in John 3.16, I put the marriage uh, message paraphrase because so many of us have memorized John 3.16, and it, then it ceases to mean what it's supposed to mean. And so the message says, this is how much God loved the world. He gave his son, his one and only son. And this is why, so that no one need be destroyed. By believing in him, anyone can have a whole and lasting life. So I want to close our time by just saying, if you're here and you have never said yes to the love of Jesus Christ, the seed of God's grace, if you're here and, and you have never even contemplated for a moment that Jesus loves you, so much that he would give everything, that he would sacrifice it all, horrifically dying on a cross, nails driven through his hands, a, thorn, a thorny crown thrust down on his brow, a gash through his side, that he would die a horrific criminal's death for you so that you could be forgiven, graced, cleansed, redeemed, that you could be his treasure 
a relationship of love that starts in this life and lasts forever. If you've never said yes to him, then today I want to offer you an invitation. It's very simple. You just step across the line of faith. Say, Jesus, I, I, I want that. Jesus, I, I trust in you. I, I know I've blown it. We all know. I mean, that's a starting place for Christianity. We've blown it. We've made mistakes. We, we've hurt ourselves. We've hurt other people. We've been proud. We've been selfish. We've been shallow. We, you know, we, we understand depravity. And so we just confess that to the Lord. Lord, this is what I've done. And, and he takes it all. And he gives you his love and grace. The most uneven trade in the universe. Maybe you're here and you've been wandering away. Maybe you're like a, maybe the rocky soil, the thorny soil. You know God, you've, you've received his love, but you've, you've kind of wandered away. You've let worries, anxiety, troubles kind of choke out your faith. Friends, today is a perfect day to come back to him. And you know, I just want to say this because this summer I've actually had to, to participate in a couple of funerals. These are funerals with people that I thought I had a lot of time with. And I just want to say for those of you who are kind of delaying the decision, uh, let me have my fun first and, and then I'll say yes to God. Yeah, I got a hard heart now. I'll say yes at some point, but I just I want to keep doing my own thing. I just want to remind you that none of us have tomorrow promised. When's a good day to receive God's grace? Today's a good day. And so I want to encourage you, let's, let's bow our heads and close our eyes and, and let's make things right. If, if there's distance between us and the Lord, let's make that right. If you've never said yes, let's say yes today. If you've been wandering away, let's, let's come back home. Jesus, we go through your word and we are amazed by it. We're transformed by it. And we ask, Lord Jesus, that you would continue to do your work. Holy Spirit, come and continue to grow us, continue to mold us into your character, continue to, to help us to walk this road of our faith journey with greater maturity and, and deeper roots and, and more fruit in our lives. Lord, we, that's what we want. And right now, Lord Jesus, we just wanna give space. If there are people here and you know them, you know the man, you know the woman, you know the, the high school student who has not yet said yes to you. Maybe they've been weighing their options, maybe they know their heart's a little hard. Would you give them the courage and the grace to step across the line today? Or simply right now in their seats, in the, in the privacy of their heart, they say, Jesus, that's what I want. I want to be forgiven and I want to be cleansed. I want to have a relationship with you that, that begins now but lasts forever. I want to know that you love me and I want to respond to that love right now by placing my trust in you. Oh, Jesus, would you just, would you just wrap them in your arms of love right now? For those who have been wandering away, Lord, would you... Same thing, would you just, just whisper your love? Say, you are my treasure. You're my pearl. I gave everything for you. I don't want to live with this distance. I want to live in intimacy. I want to live close and in proximity to you. 
Jesus, we want to thank you for how you are intimately involved in each and every one of our lives, that you care deeply about our faith journey. You care deeply about the things that we wrestle with, the sins that trip us up. You care about the problems that we have to face and overcome. And so, Lord Jesus, would you just continue to do your good work in your church? Help us to be the men and women, the church, the family that you have called and created us to be, that you have saved us to become. We love you, Lord, and we pray all this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Amen.